Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet features rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devin Sorrentino? I'm an artist, currently living in San Francisco. Are we letting our fears dictate how our physical reality is displayed in our virtual spaces? Guest host and VR artist Emily Eifler talks about the opportunities and pitfalls of representing our worlds online. I'm with Emily Eifler. We're at Hark Studios. I totally forgot it already. Hark Labs. Hark Labs. I did it. <laughs> you did it. Can you tell us? I guess it's just Hark, actually. Maybe we're not Hark Labs. I don't know. Oh. This is Hark. It is a lab. <laughs> awesome. And we're in a really cool sound studio that they've built in the middle of their office. Yep. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Emily. I am an artist, also known as Blink Pop Shift. You can find me online at Blink Pop Shift on Twitter and Instagrams at Emily Eifler, or sorry, EmilyEifler.com is my website. Oh, and LVR.com for all of my sweet, sweet virtual reality research. And we met at the Living Room Light Exchange, and then you were brought up on the last episode of Lee and the Internet, so it just seemed natural to have you on this episode of Lee and the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> and we shared some, some content back and forth, and I'm going to start off with talking about hyper-reality. There is a video in the world called Hyperreality by Kichi Matsuda. He's from the UK and he created a fictitious world where technology is completely immersed in our day-to-day activities. Essentially where the main character is wearing an augmented reality headset that interacts with everything in the world. It overlays, you know, video on everything and animation and everything and interactable games and points and on every single thing. Yeah, and I looked at it, and it's interesting, like, listening to the artist talk about it, is he talks about it in this, like, very positive, interesting, possible interpretation of the future, where when you watch it, I got a very distinct, like, dystopian, like, the the main character starts out with questioning, like, asking questions of Google of, like, who am I, where am I going, and you can interpret it in one way of, like, who am I in my job, or, like, what direction I'm going, or in a much more exit existential way as like loyalty points are getting pushed into her face and like people are speaking multiple different languages like the protagonist is I guess Colombian descent because that was the city even though they don't say the city like in the video I first saw this because somebody posted online said it was scary it's not scary I mean yes it's, it's high anxiety but it feels like it feels to me like high anxiety based off of current anxiety about social media and not actually like what augmented reality is going to be like in the future. Yeah, I thought of it, especially because it's so bright and colorful and inviting, but then like the sounds are like pretty jarring and grating and repetitive. And as watching it, it felt like walking through a casino. And to me, instead of like challenging the viewer's idea of what augmented reality could be or how it could function, I felt that it just fueled the narrative of everything's the worst and we're going to be controlled by machines and we're going to be constantly worried about questioning who we are and what we're going to be doing which I'm like aren't we already doing like the before technology wasn't this isn't this how like the suburbs got built like <laughs> people didn't know fear what to do. is like a really big human motivator and it's so often attached to technology yeah didn't you know that once printed books like people are never going to read anything ever again it's not that we're printing more books now than we ever have ever in the history of the world. No, people are never going to read ever again. Of course, all of, whenever something is new and different, people are like, ah, it's so scary. And I find myself, like, as somebody who, like, loves technology and loves the internet and loves all these things, like, I still catch myself 
in these like weird like Orwellian positions where I was like Googling like is Facebook listening to my conversations like that's literally on my Google search right now because I mean it probably is because I was talking about (laughs) what was I talking about I was talking about Garfield and then all of a sudden like ads for Garfield came up like on Facebook and I was like I don't remember and then I'm like well maybe I typed it or searched it or something well I mean I'm not that scared of technology but I'm also not like a techno optimist or as some people might say think that technology the other end of um Technology fear is like techno saviorism, where technology is gonna fix everything forever. But yeah, like Facebook is probably listening to you, but it's very easy to opt out of that. You just don't use Facebook. I personally don't have Facebook. It's like this weird thing that no one believes me. No, actually, (laughs) I don't have Facebook because I don't like it. You can just not like and not use something. Like, and I think that that's where this video proposes the idea that we can't opt out of something. And I think that that's actually probably the more, like, if I was going to think, like, this is scary, is that we, I don't think that we're going to be in an existence unless we, as a society, allow it to move into that existence where we can't opt out, where we cannot choose to, like, not collect loyalty points for a job that we don't care about or whatever the video was proposing that this woman's, and then she, like, finds religion at the end. The end part I really did not understand. No. Like, you just got stabbed. You're bleeding. And you decide that you're going to walk across the street and join religion? Like, wouldn't you go to a hospital? I don't understand at all. Well, and this is where I think that it becomes very important about who is making and creating these these types of videos, this type of reality, this type of technology. And before we started recording, I mentioned that besides, like, reading the artist, artist statement and watching his Kickstarter video about why he was making this, what he found to be very progressive video about, like, augmented reality, is that he was a male from a different continent, let alone country, projecting on his ideas of what this particular Colombian city has been going through technologically over the past 10 years. And to me... Maybe the Catholicism thing, like, maybe he added that because he thinks that it's more believable for a South American Colombian woman to convert to... I don't understand... Yeah. That's the only thing I... But that's, that's where it started to seem like the whole thing started to seem like a projection of... Projecting and manipulating. So, like, if you think about it, if that was, like... Yeah, it's his idea of what augmented reality is going to be and his idea of what Columbia is and his idea of what her life is like, which is, of course, like, any art is is sort of like that, but also it doesn't come from, like, a personal place. Sure. Which, which seems, like, would be more interesting to see, like, him using the thing and how he thinks that it will interact with his own life as opposed to trying to decide what it... How it will interact with someone else's life. Yeah, and I also think that that, like, mediation between, like, not being self-reflective of how it would have impacted, like, him as a male in London is what perpetuates the fear that's in it because you're just pulling it and, like, pulling this information from your mind. And then if you're imagining what this other space is going to be, well, then you're imagining what the audience wants to see and Mm -hmm. feel and, like, where it became very predictable that this was, like this like terrible thing that this one was interacting with. On the flip side, there was points where like in the video, the uh, like visuals, the animation like cut out because like there's a problem with her system and she's worried that she's gonna lose her points. I didn't focus on that as much as like how bland visually like the environment became. Mm -hmm. And I was like, then I got like really into the idea of like, oh, how amazing would it be instead of like wasting all this like printed material and like these very stagnant 
ideas of design that like every space could be customly designed based off of like my interest in aesthetics. Like I would never have to go into an area of like, I don't like this green. Like, and it could be a different green or a different blue. Okay, so if we go to the logical conclusion of you're in a space that is can be custom designed just to you using an augmented reality headset, what about the other people in the space? So can I, for, for example, make all the women in the space hot? Can I change their race? Can I change what they're wearing? Can I make everyone naked? Can I, like... I'm not saying that I'm scared of those things. I'm just saying, like, what are what are like what are the powers that people are going to get out of that? Sure. And like, say that you could, for example, make everyone naked. Well, what would the naked be? Because it would be like I don't know. It would be like 3D models of humans stuck over their body <laughs> with their heads showing. So it wouldn't actually be their body, but it would just be naked people everywhere. But they would be fake naked people. And so there's just all this mix up stuff about like how like when you change when you can change anything about the space to fit your own desires like what are the things that you would actually choose and then like how un- would you feel uncomfortable if someone else was putting like a 3D model over your body to make you like a super hot naked chick and this isn't like this hyper reality is not the first time that somebody has like projected this type of ability sci-fi things have predicted this and one as if that would that would be the desired evolution of like what people would want from this type of technology like I don't really think that there's a large subset of the community clamoring for like the possibility of like nakedness through yeah. augmented I mean, nudists might like that. Maybe. Um, <laughs> to the point where it became, like, so ubiquitous to, like, everyday life and not something special and specific. Yeah. Like, those, like, weird, like, re- like what's it, like, the real dolls? I have no idea what Do that you- is. So you can get sex dolls that, like, are incredible. Like, the flesh feels real. The All of the orifices are r- real orifices. And, <laughs> and, they, and they, they, they get moist and, like, all of the things. And, like, they have, like, hair that... You know, and it's it's like taking sex dolls to this other level. And they're like thousands of dollars. I mean, if that's what you want to spend your money on. Absolutely. Whatever. However, they have not like infiltrated to the point where people are like, I am now replacing real people for right, this like course. augmented person. And that's what I feel like this video proposes is that like everybody would subscribe to the idea that we would like abandon. I don't design like the term. in the real world. Yeah, yeah, design in the real world. You raise an interesting question too of like what would be the like the limitations of this type of technology in terms of would naked be special still? It, like you know would yeah. it be arousing? Would it would endlessness just be more of a lo- like a larger limitation? Yeah. The the story being controlled by by what you see and how it's presented, like in the hyper-reality, you shared uh, what, her name is Kim Loughton, Mm -hmm. a different type of reality, and it's called Reality LUT, and it's more of an abstraction with, like, a similar, to me, like, visual palette. Mm -hmm. It's, like, It's a little calmer. For sure. But it's definitely similar in, like, uh, high saturation. And there's some things that are manipulated, like, animation-wise, 3D-wise, some things that are real, and they're all put together. And there's still a, like, human presence, but an absence of a human, where I think that that makes, like, a a much more compelling introduction to, like, a futuristic feel Mm -hmm. than you are now looking at this, like, tragic... Like Colombian woman who states like I went to school for teaching and now I'm a grocery shopper and like immediately you're like oh my god the, the education's gonna be worthless in the future and where there's all these like playful real things in this Kim Lawton piece yeah but there's something that's like not obtainable now 
but very enticing in this idea of where it could possibly go. Well, I guess we talked about this a little bit, but I don't feel like these pieces are predictive. They are about right now, and they are about our anxieties in the world right now and our anxieties about technology right now. They're not really, oh, this is actually what's going to happen in the future. Like, the, the reality Lux piece is about, like, what kind of spaces you can create on computers right now and then also this sort of, like, ghostly presence that's only represented by, you know, like, these hand controllers and the helmet and there's no person inside of them, but they clearly move as though they were animated by a person and animated by a person who is being listened to by the computer technology, the same computer technology that actually renders the world that those things are inside of. So there's, like, this multi-layered thing about the person not being there, but also interacting with a place that they're not in and being invisible, but being active. And and we can do, like, that's, all that stuff is about technology that is right now, which is why I feel like it's more, it has a better, like, texture. I don't know. It's just, it's a, to me, more interesting piece than, oh my God, everything is scary in, yeah. in, in the supposed fictional future. I, th- I also feel like that piece has, like, a, um, a smoothness. They, all of the the sort of rendered objects inside of the video are particularly smooth, which I think is interesting. There's nothing real world about it. There's no effort in it to make it look as though it were the real world, um, as opposed to in the what is it, hyper-reality yeah. piece where, like, a lot of effort is put into, like, it's shot in the real world and then a lot of, like, motion graphics are put on over the top of the real world, whereas Reality Lux is, like, a sort of enjoyment of the hyper-smoothness of a virtual space that yeah. is real right now. The pieces do two different things. There's one, um, I think that you, you mentioning about the present is very important, where hyper-reality is a prediction of what the present will be, but using technology we have right now, mm-hmm. as if that technology wouldn't evolve beyond what we understand today for mm-hmm. tomorrow, which I think that's why it's so easy to play into that story of, the doomed reality yeah. that we are. It takes a, a youngness, uh, a, what I feel like is a symptom of youngness in the network, and amplifies it to like everything will always be this way, as opposed to thinking about the network evolving culturally, sure. just as it, as the culture has evolved in the real world. And it, the network is very young. Like we have to think of it as being something that hasn't you know like come into its you know adultness yet. yeah for sure and then i think like with the kim lawton piece is that you're again with that present it's very much using the technology of right now to represent things that are familiar but in a in a very different stylized way before we started recording you talked about like the potato in it mm-hmm. and i didn't notice that object at first like i thought of it more as like a composition that you would move through before mm-hmm. looking at the individual objects. It's very domestic. Like, yeah. there's a potato and a, a pot and pan. Food, there's a pan. It's, like, on a little table. Like, it's a very close, very intimate, like, sm- there's a smallness about it that I really like. I saw both of these pieces on the same size screen, but one, that smallness is, like, one feels very vast, which is the hyper-reality because it's, like, moving through space mm-hmm. and time and you're interacting with multiple touch, like, points and it jumps from space to space to space where even though like this is more captured and controlled but there's something that feels more real about the quote-unquote unreal space Mm -hmm. that I couldn't with hyper reality get to the point where I found that world to be believable right because you would never opt into that yeah 
But you would opt into reality lux, like the sensitiveness of it and the like calmness of it and the the hyper coloration. Like there's something that like I would absolutely put that on my face. Whereas <laughs> it feels real. Like yeah. would you pick this up and put it on your face? Yes. Other one? No. Yeah. Or the other one I feel like I'm forced to feel the way that the artist wanted me to feel. Even the character in that piece doesn't seem to gain any benefit from her opting in. Like yeah. she gets loyalty points, but we're never told what the loyalty points get you or what not having them means or like there's so there's this sort of sort of like vague proposed benefit without ever actually feeling the the reason for doing any of like why she would participate in any of that when she could easily like turn it off. Reminds me I shared another piece with you about the and it's going around the internet right now. It's it's very viral and hot this uh short movie that was I wish I wish so many times that I could everybody could visibly see my air quotes like <laughs> when I say something on this podcast cuz I I feel you that can my make t- vocal air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes. I feel that my sarcasm <laughs> comes through, but then, like, I'm so East Coast sometimes that, like, I understand that sarcasm is my first language and then my second language is regular talking. But um, this short, short film, quote, unquote, written by AI, artificial intelligence, that... To be clear, it was written by a neural network, which is a particular kind of AI. Can you expand on that? Because I do not know the... Like, so, a neural network basically looks at a huge pile of data and tries to make associations. It just basically looks for patterns, and from those patterns tries to basically act on its own in accordance with those patterns. So it's trying to learn, and the neural network they used was clearly not well-developed because the language that came out of it was like barely English. The inflection of the actors are what made it tangible at yeah. all. Too read in like a flat tone. Yeah. It it's very similar to like when you're text messaging someone and it gives you like, like oh, it's predictive. Like, it, oh, maybe you want to use one of these words. And sometimes, yes, you want to use one of those words. And sometimes it's telling you to use a word and you're like, why would I ever? Sure. Like, d- how d- did d- you get d- it? That doesn't make any sense. I never, no there's never ducking anything. Yeah. I just want to say fucking. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And that's an interesting thing about neural networks is that like, why won't it let you say fucking? Well, because the people that programmed it were like, well, maybe we shouldn't include that. And like, it doesn't, like there are limitations on the way that the thing can learn based on who made the thing that is learning. Yeah. So this movie is essentially has three characters in it. Um, <coughs> all white. Yeah. <laughs> all white, two male, all conventionally attractive. Yes. Um, it's it's very visually pleasing. The costume design is gorgeous. Yeah. The music for it I thought was very compelling. Yeah. Uh, the acting in it. Very good. Very for good. For having no, literally no content, like having no idea what they're talking about, they made it very uh, emotionally appealing. But what started this great at me is, like most things, everything in life that grates at me, um, is the accolades that this piece is receiving and the disconnection that the essentially like all white production, all white cast has taken out of it in terms of like owning any of the content. Right. It was written by an AI, so we're not responsible for all of the content that is in it, right? Because 
all we did was choose all the inflections and the actors and all we did was choose which neural network we used and we chose what scripts were put into it and we chose how the music would be and we cho- we we, yeah. we only chose everything every, every component every single component but we're not really responsible for the thing that was the thing that resulted it couldn't possibly be just like a white people movie talking about the you know like what we think that technology how technology is totally neutral like ah. and the reason that i I felt that, like, kind of all these three artists, three pieces kind of fit together is, like, the assumption and presumption of each are so drastically different, mm-hmm. but all about this idea of the future and how, how technology works for us mm-hmm. and what it does. Yeah. And when I watched the, like, the celebration of the AI-written screenplay, I'm like, this is literally counterintuitive to the possibilities of what technology can possibly... Mm-hmm. If we're talking about, like this like neutral existence which like i think is a fictitious dream it, yeah that what w- one why would you want that yeah like <laughs> where where humans are so interesting have you met humans they're awesome they come in all kinds of different ways and the idea that we're going to use technology to get rid of all of that uniqueness because oh well we'll just boil it all down to an algorithm i don't like it well it it just seems like a a new way to not take responsibility for your, your biases and actions. Yeah. yeah. And I would think of any of the pieces, and like actually looking at all of Kim Lawton's work, she does a really great job of distancing her bias, like quote unquote her bias. Now it's there because she's choosing the colors. She's cho- Yeah, she's, you can't get completely away from it. Um, but I do think that that abstraction allows a little bit more room for the audience to make projections on what it's supposed to mean. We're watching, um, I can't remember the short film's name. Goldfish? Or no, the other one. The the one that the AI wrote. And like, it's being so celebrated by by people. I'm waiting for the backlash though. It's called uh, Sunspring, is the movie. Uh, have you have you noticed this online? Um, if you haven't, then we, we might have very drastically different Facebook friends. But I feel like... You don't have Facebook? Yes. Uh, <laughs> social media friends. And actually, you're on different social media platforms. So you're, like, you're. I know that you're on Twitter and you seem pretty active on Twitter. Where Twitter still functions primarily chronologically. It does give you, like, the, maybe you'd be interested in this or, like, some type of... But it's really easy to, like, close and get yeah, rid of there, stuff. Yeah, there's, like, X's, like, right away. Where yeah. Facebook, you have no choice anymore but to see the content the way it's presented. Yeah. And every time something new and interesting enters, like my Facebook feed, there's like a rise and fall of it. Mm-hmm. So I remember when Banksy created, to me, a very problematic problematic uh, installation. The whole, what was it, like, yuck world or whatever. I can't even remember. Oh, really. yeah. I can't remember. Like, I can't even. Dismaland? I think Something that's what like it was. that, yeah. I, I watched everybody celebrate it. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is so cool. And then it took, like, a steep nosedive <laughs> of, like, white privilege, bullshit, cynicism, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Right now, this short film is still being celebrated in my Facebook world yeah. by, like, all of my filmmaker friends as like weird and interesting and I'm like waiting for the conversation of like this to me feels like boyhood do you remember the movie boyhood that Mm -hmm. came out I 
was it Linkletter, I think, did it? Anyway, he shot it over 12 years, Mm -hmm. and everybody talked about how amazing this movie was and how it took 12 years to make, and um, they watched this boy grow. And when I saw it, I was like, this is like any other fucked up, patriarchal, sexist, coming of age story. He has a sister that Does we he have a complete... dog? Please tell me it's a white boy with a dog. <laughs> There's dogs in and out. Yes. Um, a single mother who's a mess. Like, everything about it. And But everybody focused on the process. And that's what I feel like when I'm reading articles about this, this movie, is that this AI process is what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's so fictitious. It's like farcical. There's plenty of lovely things about it, but you can't, you can't just make a movie with great acting. Yeah, I mean, like like, that's any movie. Like, (laughs) like. You made it there with great acting. I don't know what else you want me to say about it. And we both uh, mentioned this before we started recording is that like I couldn't help, and you said this as well, um, when they were talking, because they're saying such innocuous, nonsensical things, Mm -hmm. but what gives them resonance and movement is the inflection Mm -hmm. that the actor uses. I just kept thinking of every other way you could say it. Like, if you're saying. I was like, why isn't everyone in this movie Indian? Like, the with wearing amazing, you know, Indian saris or something, or why isn't why isn't it like a Pakistani family who lives in New Jersey? That like it literally could be anybody Anything. in this movie, and you picked three completely bland white people. Well, and and then it kind of in my mind goes back to this idea that like as we introduce like new technology, and again there was air quotes that existed because like a lot of these content and ideas and thoughts are not new because like telling people that AI wrote your movie script. You can automatically see the, but what about the writer? You know, like, what about the human element? I can already hear, like, the backlash of people. Of, like, like, did you listen to the movie? Nothing happened. Yeah, like, it was written terribly. But if it hadn't been written by a computer, no one would ever have made that movie. Yeah, and I, and I feel like the reason that they, to me, it was, like, a safe choice to pick an attractive white cast. Yeah. Like, because now you can introduce this one thing that might be considered weird which it really isn't and was poorly done. But if we add that weird between, like, two pieces of white bread, it's like, <laughs> I feel like this was, like, the first time I tried hummus was on, like, a wheat thin and not with naan because, like, <laughs> like my, my child brain would accept a wheat thin, but, like, with a new substance. Like, <laughs> I wonder, like, can you critique a computer's writing? Like, if a neural network makes a script, can you can you critique its writing the way that you would critique a writer, the writer of a short film, the in general? Like, what can we just say? Like, oh, this was a poorly written neural network script, but this other one over here was more interesting. Or, I mean, because I feel like if James Joyce watched that movie. He'd be like, yes, exactly. <laughs> this is exactly what I have wanted my entire life. This is the best movie ever made. Yeah, like, but... I, I felt like I, like, I don't, uh, William Barrow's, like, Naked Lunch, where it's just, like, a bunch of nonsensical, like, non-punctuated sentences. I was like... But those people, those books are lauded as, like, this is the pinnacle of writing. Well, you started the statement of, like, a poorly written neuroscript. Yeah. I, I feel like that's what would be judged. Like, what makes... James Joyce and uh, William Barrows and uh, anybody who's written things that are, like, unreadable. (laughs) 
Ulysses? I have read Finnegan's Wake and Ulysses. Yeah. They're both awful. Yeah, Ulysses, I remember, like, and I made it through the end, and I was like, this is straight because I want to brag that I finished yeah, this all, book. That's the only reason you read Ulysses is because you're like, no, I fucking read that book. Yeah, like, just to feel superior, because it is not You're like, good. I know, I can torture myself. But the reason that you can make an argument for it being classic or, like, amazing writing is because you know the ability of the author in other light. <laughs> I've read things by James Joyce that are unequivocally masterpieces. Yeah. And then there's Ulysses. And like the same thing with like many other writers and I think that that's what would be critiqued is like you would know that the person who wrote a particular script was capable of writing, of writing the portrait of the artist as a young man. But it produced Sunspring because that's all it can make. Yeah, like we're challenging the idea to start off with something like Sunspring makes it too easy to discredit the idea that AI being able to function in a thoughtful and interesting way. Yeah. Because the only thing that like we've kind of belabored that made that interesting is production value. Production. And I feel the same thing with hyper reality that like the story is, is not new or inventive or challenging in any way, but like the video itself is pretty interesting looking and the colors he chose and the pace and Mm -hmm. and the production of it gives it its value. But the abstracted piece by Kim Lawton, I think does something different because I'm not focused on the technology, I'm focused on the piece. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think- That should be the goal of all technology art. Yeah. as a technology artist, that is always the goal. The goal is always to get someone into the thing and not thinking about all the crap I had to strap to their body to get this thing to work. Like uh, that's why I like that piece so much. Is like I'm never thinking about augmented reality. Like that word no. is never in my head. I'm not. I'm not thinking about AI. Like I'm, that word is not in my head. It, there are components of virtual reality in that piece, but when you look at it, you don't think virtual reality. Like it yeah. doesn't just that word doesn't pop into your head immediately, which I feel like should be the goal. It should be somewhere in the background that you know that it's related to that, but it's different. It's individual. It's a it's art. It's not a treatise about yeah. technology. And I think that that's kind of been some of, the, in my opinion, the pitfall of like new media technology art is that it's relying too much on the out, you know, not the outside world. I, I don't like making that distinction, but it's relying too much on tropes that we're familiar with mm-hmm. to fuel the legitimacy of the work. Mm-hmm. Like if we can tell this weird story through this AI script yeah. or I can convey this feeling of anxiety through this augmented reality video yeah. that like it's connected to something real air quotes again nobody can see um, <laughs> it's connected to something real which makes it more important because mm-hmm. it's it, you can tangibly understand its existence yeah and it gets back to the idea of like we value storytelling over the emotional content of a work and there's been a lot of like storytelling is the most important part in you know in in a lot of those pieces and in Kim Lawton's piece there is no story there is no there's just a feeling yeah and I feel like um, that level of abstraction that level of like getting you away from there being a narrative or a plot or that something happens or that there's you know that 
there's a the, even that there's risk or no risk like all of those things are stripped away and all you get is this sort of abstract emotional content and even in like the history of abstraction in sculpture especially the the idea is you know we went from abstract sculptures being like a thing that you could walk around and it was like an object mm-hmm. right and then we got you know abstraction as like we're going to make the thing so big that it becomes a place and you have to walk around inside of it, and you go into its space, right? And that's how I feel about the Kim Lon piece, is that, like, you are entering into its space as opposed to it being in your space. The The storytelling pieces feel like, when I watch them, they feel like they're trying to intrude into my sure. emotional space, right? They're trying to Im- imbue a sense of anxiety into my emotional space. Yeah. But her pieces don't feel like that. It feels like this is a place separate from me and I can enter into it emotionally if I choose to, but it's not like trying to punch me in the face with its storytelling wavy hands that you can't see on the podcast. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that it's becoming like one of the pitfalls of a lot of new media art. Yeah. And I think, and in like physical artwork has the same problems is like I think that there's a lot of we we talked a little bit about like my kind of weirdness of the art scene in San Francisco is that there's a lot of pressure right now on the art world to attach itself to things that are irrefutably important and I think that there is a perception sometimes that technology is frivolous even though we understand it to be completely or we don't understand it to be completely ingrained in our lives at this point I it's interesting I'm sure that you meet people all the time who believe that they do not involve themselves with technology like my mom proud of her do you flip drive phone cars? yeah like there's, like there's do you watch television yeah it's I mean, do you wear clothes that you did not manufacture? Yeah. Did, like, like computers are not technology. Like, okay, well, no, I should take that back. Yeah, technology <laughs> is not computers. Technology is like all the shit that humans Human, make. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that things like that piece, hyper reality, kind of perpetuate is that we believe it to be electronics. We believe technology to just be the internet. So when things are made on the internet and interacted with on the internet. There's, like, almost this, like, it feels like desperation of an artist sometimes of, like, trying to capture what we understand that people are emotionally connected to that is beyond the Internet or Mm -hmm. outside of the Internet or impacts things that the Internet does not touch. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, like, incredibly, it's not incredibly short-sighted. It just doesn't seem like we're allowing the potential. Yeah, we're just not allowing the potential of the medium to grow beyond things that we are dealing with that have nothing to do with the technology like our existence as humanity is like afraid of just moving forward it's not necessarily afraid of the internet like the internet is just like it's like feels like a big scapegoat and if you can create work that is like look this is irrefutably important because i'm telling a story with it or Mm -hmm. i'm i'm doing something that's intrinsically human as if the technology is not human that's what's weird about it I just came to that conclusion as saying that, is that we believe that something like the Kim Lauten piece, and not we as in me and you and maybe not even anybody who would listen to an internet podcast, <laughs> but like the the idea of the virtual abstraction as something that is inherently not human. Yeah. But there's, it's incredibly it's human. It's no less human than a hammer. Yeah. Like, it's no, it's no less real. Like, it's, you can't say the real world and the virtual world. There is no real world there's nothing outside of the real world like humans make tools and we create environments and we do all of this work but 
it's not as though, like, the sound booth that we're in, which is a completely not electronic object, is any less technological. And and because it's no more or less technological doesn't mean it's any more or less human. Like, it's specifically designed for a human activity yeah. by humans using human tools. Like, I just get super frustrated when we make really artificial divisions. And sure, I work in virtual reality, so, like, you do have to call the thing inside of a computer or something different. But I tend to say the physical world and the virtual world because the weird thing about the virtual world is that you can walk through physical objects. You, like, you if it looks like it's a physical object, you can walk through it. So sure, I need to be able to call that interaction with things a different thing. But that doesn't mean that the technology is making something that's not the real world. Like you're still in the real world. Yeah, you're still affected people, by it. You're tools. still feeling... Like, it's still making you move and exist and think and everything else that anything like physical does. I am more emotionally affected by things that happen online at this point, but not more, but at least equal to anything that's happening in front of me. Both of them are very real spaces for me. If somebody like sent me a G chat that said, I hate you. And somebody said it to me in person, I would feel the same way if my emotional relationship with whoever the sender was, was the same. Yeah. And they're also very intermixed, right? Yes. Like, I was at the Castro uh, vigil. Well, how did I know that that existed? Well, because Twitter told me that there was a shooting. Like, And then because Twitter, because I found out on Twitter that there was a shooting, a physical thing that happened in the real world in a place very far away from where I live... Like, the internet informed me of that, and then I interacted with the real world because of that interaction, and that folding back and forth happens in lots of places. Like, I specifically try to make it happen in my work, where, like, I try to mix myself, like, the character of Blink Pop Shift, like, back and forth between my work so that I'm a physical person and also a virtual person, and then I try to make work where the sculptures that I make are physical and virtual, where you can mix them back and forth so that we quit with this division. We quit with the idea that they are separate places with separate things in them with completely separate influences like no they are you know they're a mixed media and they're like you know clay you just need it back and forth between the two things and you can do that indefinitely and I feel like the more we make work that focuses on that melding the more we'll lose that idea that the virtual world and the internet are separate from like any interaction that you have in the real world and hyper reality is trying to do that right like hyper reality is trying to say like they're the same thing. They're completely intermixed, but doing it in such a way that, like, makes it full of fear. Yeah. And makes it full of a particular kind of emotion that is not about my real life. Like, my, I'm actually not afraid in my real life. Like, because one Muslim guy claims to be a member of ISIS and shoots up a nightclub full of like real awesome human beings, that doesn't make all Muslim people horrible. It's a similar thing. Like, you can't just, we don't, we don't do that. Or I guess people are afraid of that but like you don't live with fear like that isn't I'm not okay with that we don't live with fear and I think that the one of the interesting things that you said is about this idea that them not being separate because the minute that we continuously think that technology and the internet is a separate place when things are separate it means that they're not for you right and it's easy to project all the things that you fear or hate or dislike on something separate, on something that's away. Other. Yeah, the other. And, like, it does perpetuate the idea that this is why there are groups of people who will fall into the trap of believing that the one person's actions in Orlando, like, using your example, the one person's actions in Orlando will speak for many because they think of it as an other. 
And especially in the art world, I feel like it's our responsibility to convey that personal is universal, that that there is Mm -hmm. no other, there is no separation. I think that that's what all of these pieces, they show the limitations and the strengths of artists trying to blend that idea that these places and things and ideas are separate Mm -hmm. from our everyday life. And some are doing it in a very clear, tangible, maybe more a little bit more successful way. And then some are showing the possibility, but still playing on a, a fear that still perpetuates the idea of a separateness or yeah. that there needs to be something separate. Yeah. No more fear, people. Yeah. We can get rid of it using arts. <laughs> the art does everything. <laughs> on the next episode where art does nothing. <laughs> Emily, thanks so much for taking the time yeah, and having this awesome conversation. One more time, where can people find you online so they can experience you and your work? Twitter and, and Instagram at Blink Pop Shift. Oh, and on YouTube, of course, I post. Uh, oh. Also on my website, um, emilyeichler.com. And all of my virtual reality research is levr.com, E-L-E-V-R.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter, at and the internet, and on the blog at leeandtheinternet.com. You can also find the show on facebook.com slash internet. Help people discover this podcast by rating Lee and the Internet on iTunes. It would make me really happy.